Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Now, here's your host, Joe Moss. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. This is Joe Moss, your moderator and president of Embassy National Bank. Uh, Embassy is uh, bringing you this show, and uh, we are a nationally chartered financial institution uh, with deposits insured by the FDIC. And on this show, we discuss topics designed to help the small business person do better in their job. We're proud of how we try to help small business. I'm Joe Moss, the host and president at Embassy National Bank, and uh, welcome you to the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio. So today, um, going to be an interesting show because we're going to be talking a lot about culture, I think. And to show you how the culture can be implemented in a really dynamic way, we have Mr. Eric Alamina of Alamina Limousine and Worldwide Transportation. This is his own company. You've been in business for about nine years. We're going to talk to him about some things he's done well, some things he's done not so well, but also talk about the culture that he's got in place in his company and some of the reasons for his success. So, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a real honor to be on. And um, why don't you tell everybody what the company is and um, um, and what you profess to be? Sure. So we are a limousine and transportation service. Uh, we provide, I say service, but we're actually an experience. And we provide anything from sedan uh, experiences back and forth to the airport to motor coaches, stretch limos to vintage cars and everything in the middle. And who is your target client? So our primary focus is more of the corporate and the celebrity CEO, the executive, the high net worth individual. Do you do a lot of weddings and proms or do you try to stay away from that or you found the corporate business to be where your strike zone is? So we started our business on special events. We started with the weddings, with the birthdays, the you know bar mitzvahs, the you know all of that stuff. But with the change of focus last year, we decided to put more of a focus on high net worth individuals, people that want personalized service. And so we have taken our focus away from the special events, which we still do, but we're not focusing in on marketing that. We still do it very well, but we're not trying to market that service. Okay. Tell me how you got in the business. That's a pretty interesting story. Sure. To start off, I graduated from Georgia Tech back in 2000, started a, well, I couldn't get a job in mechanical engineering when I graduated. And I was racing at the time, prof- or semi-professionally. And I- What cars were you racing? Sports cars, okay. SCCA. Could not get a job, could not support my racing. So I started a business selling performance parts for all the sport compact cars. And about three years into that, for some reason, I just couldn't get in, get it off the ground. Learned a lot through that process, but uh, had to move on. I had gotten out of racing because, uh, you know, I just couldn't afford it. Well, that's got to be more expensive than golf, I would think. Yes. Okay. Very much so. In fact, probably more expensive than horses, I would think. Yes. (laughs) In 2005, the real estate market was booming in Atlanta, and I got this brilliant idea that I was going to get into real estate investing. And you could not lose in real estate in Atlanta. So. Cannot. Not in 2005, right? <clears throat> right. 
three months renovated, six months sold, two years later, I finally finished the house that I bought, inexperienced in doing it, had all kinds of issues. And in the process of all of that, I needed a job to pay the bills. My mom knew somebody where she worked that had a limousine service. And I love driving, of course. I love people. So I thought, hey, why not? So I started driving limousines part-time just to pay the bills. And in 2007, when the housing market crashed, I couldn't sell it. I needed a full-time job. Somebody I knew through the business was selling a limo. They were going to help me get started by giving them, giving me all of their clients because they were getting out of the business. The company I was driving for said, buy the car, we'll support you, we'll send you all of our extra work, you can drive for us in the process. And then my parents also supported me by doing an interest-free loan, which was unheard of. So it was one of those God things that you kind of say, all right, well, I guess I'm in the limo business. <laughs> so you so. didn't start your uh, education at Georgia Tech and saying, you know what, I'm going to take my four years at Tech, but at the end of this thing, I'm starting my own limo company. That was not the intent. Usually how it cranks up and usually how it starts is entrepreneurs and small business owners usually don't plan to end up where they are, but they seem to. Right. But you've got an entrepreneurial bent, I guess, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. From the age of 12, I had my first business, which was a lawn business. Okay. And I ran it as a business and uh, that's how I got started and, and got the entrepreneurial bug, I guess you would say. You know, yards can can make some money. I did that too and, and delivered papers and you always had cash in your pocket when other people didn't. So that was always a good feeling. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so tell us about your culture. What are you, um, what do you profess to be? What are you, tr what are you trying to build at your company? Sure. So we have uh, a unique company culture and it's something that we're focusing on a lot. Last year, we restructured the company and we really sat down and thought, okay, what do we want to be? What do we want to do? How are we going to get there? And we created all new company statements, a new vision, a new mission statement, all of that you know, we recreated from the ground up. One of the things that we came up with was this idea of servanthood. And everything is based on this idea of servanthood, which is we define as the community culture of serving others perfect for the limo business being a service-based business. So we created all these statements um, based on, on that word, servanthood. Go into a little bit more detail about servanthood. What does that mean about how you treat customers, uh, potential customers, employees? What, are, what does all that mean? Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll share our mission. Uh, our mission is to live up to the Alameda standard of servanthood by anticipating needs, putting others first, striving for excellence, surpassing expectations, and doing our absolute best in all that we do. So that's, that's our, our primary so let's, focus. let's stop there. That. You say put others first. Mm -hmm. Difficult thing to do. Yes. Difficult thing for a lot of people to do. How do you find the kind of person that can do that? Very difficult. But it, what we find is that you can always, you can find people that have the heart for serving, and you can always train those people in what you do. And you can, it's interchangeable, you know, whether they're flipping burgers or whether they're, you know, driving limos. It's, you know, you can always train somebody to do a particular skill. 
But when it comes down to the heart, it's very, very difficult to change the heart. I agree. So what we try to do is try to focus on finding the right people. And that is the most difficult and most challenging thing in our business is finding the right people. Actually, it's a challenge and probably the most important thing in any business. But Mm -hmm. what techniques do you use to try to find the right people? You know, of course, we're still learning in this. This is an ongoing process as far as really finding the right people in the right areas. You know, one one thing that we did is we created one, an employee plan. Uh, And that employee plan is more of a marketing strategy to tell you know, tell potential employees what we're all about, what we're trying to do, how they're going to grow in the company, and how they're going to develop. Because the one thing that we want to do is build value in other people and create value for other people. You know, our value proposition in all of it is growing exceptional people to be the best in life and on the job. And we really mean that. We want to attract those people that want to grow in the company. But then also we want to go the step further and actually do it. A lot of people talk that to bring people in, but then they let them sit at a desk and, you know, they don't go anywhere in the company. We want to be able to train people. And then if somebody's not working out, if they're not putting forth the effort, you know, the idea is, is, you know, if they're not working out, get rid of them, move them on and help them find careers that they're going to excel at Mm -hmm. or excel at. That's the biggest idea is is to help people or help put people where they can succeed the most. And if it's not with us, then it's not with us. You've heard uh, expressions, slow to hire, quick to fire. So it sounds like you probably go through a lot of candidates. Yes. Where do you find them? How do you you, uh, market the fact when you have a slot that opens? That's probably one the biggest challenge in finding people is we're not a professional organization. So going through a lot of the hiring services uh, where they take a percentage. Unfortunately, our profit margins are very low, so we have to stay competitive. So we don't have professional salaries that we can be able to take a cut of that and give it to somebody else. We are forced to find kind of grassroots means of finding people. So Craigslist, we search through people, especially through referrals asking our own employees to reach out to other people. Uh, we've gotten business cards that we're handing out, that all the employees are handing out in the process. So as they're down at the airport or they're out meeting clients, hey, you know, you look professional. Here's a, a, a for-hire card. You know, please give us a call if you're interested. So how do you, when someone plugs into your company, how, what are the first year look like for them? The first year, well, first of all, they go through a couple weeks of on-demand training where, you know, it's full on, um, you know, we're, they basically, they come in, they go through a lot of the paper training, going over what it means to be a chauffeur, what it means to follow, you know, the servanthood experience, and then to be able to take them into the car and give them one-on-one, per, you know, experience with a trainer, somebody that's training them. And then be able to, you know, put them out there, monitor them without somebody in the car and see, you know, what they do with select clients. And then once we do that over the next couple of weeks and we're monitoring it through that process, then we decide whether we need more training or less training and, and go from there. What is the, 
a typical day look like for a successful limo driver? A good day would be, in our business, the most profitable side is our charters. And there's two types. There's transfers and charters. Transfers are we pick you up and we take you to the airport or we pick you up and take you somewhere and we drop you off and that's it. The most profitable side of it is is the charter side to where we pick somebody up, that we're with them the entire time and we're getting paid for it the entire time and we're providing that exceptional service that entire time. That is the most ideal for chauffeurs. And that's why we're moving more into this private class and more of the first class service because that's what we excel at. That's what we do best at. You're listening to On the Money, and you're listening to Eric Alamina of Alamina Limousine and Worldwide Transportation. And we're talking about a little bit about the limo business, but more about establishing a, a culture for a particular company. And um, sounds to me like you were well on the way to getting all that done. So the charter business where you're staying with the client all day long. So you, you're training these people, the driver, to be what you, I guess, a chauffeur. Correct. Driving Miss Daisy kind of chauffeur, right? <laughs> I, I would think. Yes. There's two mentalities in, in our business, and there's the idea of a driver, get you from A to B. And there's a lot of companies that are doing that and even doing it very well. But there's very, very, very few companies that have stuck with the idea of a chauffeur. And there's more to a chauffeur than just driving. It's, you know, providing personalized service. It's uh, attention to detail. It's, it's noticing the small intricacies of the individual and how can I best build value for that individual. Give me an idea of some of the things that a chauffeur would do at your company that may or may not occur at other companies like yourself? So it, the personalized service is the, is the biggest one. Uh, one, we start off in the very beginning with a personalized service questionnaire that we offer clients. In that personalized service questionnaire, we ask them, what kind of temperature would you like in the car? What kind of music do you like? What kind of drinks do you prefer? What kind of magazines? What hobbies do you have is, the, is a really good question that we always ask. And through those, we take that information and we build it into our, our reservation system. When a reservation is made and it's sent out to the chauffeur, all of those notes go to on a trip sheet or a driver trip sheet. And that driver will read them, adhere to them from the very beginning. It isn't like they read it right before the trip and say, oh, I, well, I should have gotten him a Diet Coke. We have them read it the night before. That way they can anticipate their time and be able to go out and get those special requests. I, I think I've been with, with drivers that have told me they may have been on the road for upwards to 18 hours. Now, is that the kind of life that a successful chauffeur could anticipate? Not with us. Okay. And the reason is, is uh, one of the things that we really you know, want to do is, is to stay safe. And whenever you get into 16, 18, you know, 20 hours, you're really, you know, treading on ice. So what we try to do is maintain uh, the DOT rules. Um, Which are? 10 hours driving, 15 hours on service. 
Okay. So even though we're not required to do that for sedans, SUVs, and the smaller vehicles, or even the, some of the larger vehicles locally, we still do that just because we want to maintain safety. and. So 10 hours of driving, and then you have to have 15 hours off? No, 15 hours of on actually working. Okay. So say, for instance, um, you have several different trips throughout the day. But in between those, you might have an hour or two where you're resting or you're not doing anything, but you're still on the clock. You're still getting paid for it. How do you market? How do you get your name out there? The one thing that we have learned is when you're dealing with high net worth individuals, CEOs, corporate, it's all about relationships. And one of the things that we have found that has started to work, has taken time, but has started to work as being a part of a lot of the chambers. Uh, being a part of a lot of the the clubs where people hang out, building relationships through other people. Um, you know, who do you know? Can you give us a referral? And just starting to really build those relationships. One of the things that we're working on right now is uh, we're just getting started with it. We've tried it a couple of times, haven't pulled it off, but we're really adamant about doing it now with social media, where you're building relationships, not in person, but, you know, just over the internet. Do you have house accounts so that you have you are the exclusive company for a particular company? We do. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how many of is that is that considered the ultimate within the limo business to be able to to garner those and keep those or do they tend to be pretty pricey and it, thin margined? It it depends on we have some that are very profitable, some that you know are not quite as profitable. But we still keep them just because you know they're they still are you know bringing in some money. We put our focus on the ones, of course, that are, are well. We I I say this: we treat everybody the same, the same level of service. We don't try to pick and choose who we you know invest in as far as you know the service goes. But we will uh, pursue a lot of the people that you know where we can. Yeah, it's obvious where you can earn the most money. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to pursue a lot of the bigger corporate clients. You know, your your does service really make a difference in this business, or does it all come down to price in a lot of cases? A lot of cases nowadays, it's come down to price. The problem with that is, is that with price is the reduction in true value, and I decided, you know, actually in 2014, end of 2014, I did not want to go down that route. Uh, we could, you know, we could try to compete with, you know, the, the transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft. But the problem is, is that we're competing with a $70 billion company. We're not going to do well. <laughs> All right. So, or your, how is it? Carrie Limo was out there as a big competitor of mm-hmm. yours, I would think, correct? Yeah. Who is some of your main competition? Uber, you mentioned. Right. I mean, there's the Cooper Global, there's Atlantic, uh, there's Green, yeah, there's a a North Point, um, yeah, there's Mint Life, you know, there's a bunch of them out there. What separates us from, from all of those and why everybody else, you know, is competing on price. I don't want to compete on price. I want to build value and offer that value at a fair price, at a really good ultimate value, which is you get a lot of service for a particular amount of money. 
And what are my idea is to wow people. And through that wow experience, people are willing to spend more. Sure. Starbucks, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, who would have ever thought that we would be at $6 for a cup of coffee? Not me. And not me. <laughs> but people but do it I, all the time. <laughs> when, you, uh, when someone calls you, uh, you mentioned setting up a profile. So that is mm-hmm. a standard procedure when you get a new customer? Yes. So mm-hmm. you just don't book them a ride. You say, can you go online and, or do you ask them questions or how do you do all that? We give them a couple different options. We, they can go online and pull up a personalized service questionnaire and fill it out uh, very easy. Or we ask them, you know, in the middle of the reservation, hey, do you have a mo- moment? Would you like to, you know, give us your, some personal information that we can personalize your experience in the car? Uh, we do that at the reservation. Or if they don't have time for it and don't really want to spend the time, uh, we get that information slowly as we start to build relationships in the car with the chauffeurs. We've trained the chauffeurs to ask certain questions to be able to build that information. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the technical aspects. Uh, I've used car services a lot in the past. I guess my first question would be, how do you finance all these automobiles? How many cars do you have in the company now, and how are they financed? We have uh, six vehicles. Two of them we own outright at the moment. The other four are financed. Do you lease those? Do you own them and, and pay a loan on them, or do you lease them, or how does that work? All of them are owned and loaned. Okay. And the reason for that is we put so many miles on the vehicles in a year that leasing the vehicle, we would exceed all leasing requirements. Give me an idea how many miles would go on an automobile in your business per is, year, per year, per year for, for our sedans, um, is kind of the benchmark. We easily put 80, 80, well, I would say on an average of 80,000 miles a year, plus or minus. Who does your maintenance right now? We're doing it all in house. I do a lot of it still myself. Uh, it's one of the last things I'll give up only because I'm a car nut and I love it. And it's just, so you do all the oil changes yourself and everything, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. And what about cleaning the car? How does that process work? At the end of the night, it comes back to the, to the shop, I guess, and it gets cleaned. How does all that work? So our requirements, we have very, very steep requirements for keeping cars clean and immaculate. While that vehicle is out, especially in our sedans, where we're picking up multiple people throughout the day. We have all of the chauffeurs cleaning out the cars after every client. One of the things that I tell chauffeurs and and we train their chauffeurs is that we want people to get into the car thinking that they are the first person getting into that car ever. We have brushes and we have cleaning supplies in the vehicle such that in between trips, they sweep out the carpets, they wipe down the seats and get it looking presentable for the next person. At the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal to be able to do a final, you know, wipe over of the vehicles because they've been doing it throughout the day. Is being a chauffeur a fun job? Is it a tedious job? Give give me an idea of that. Sure. So we, it 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 takes a certain. Yeah. When is it fun and when is it not fun? (laughs) It takes a certain type of person. The beauty of being a chauffeur is you're never behind a desk. You're always out on the road. Uh, You're seeing the city. You're experiencing, you know, the world around you. The other thing is, is every day is different. If you're the type of person that needs to have everything in line and, you know, I come to work at eight and I leave by five and, you know, I have lunch at 12, that this is not the business for you. 
But if you like to have a new experience every day and something new, something, somebody new in the car, it's a great business. And one of the exciting things that, that we've been hearing through a couple of our clients is just how great our clients are. And the chauffeurs just have amazing experiences. We're trying to create that amazing experience for the client, but our chauffeurs are actually experiencing amazing experiences just talking to people. I would think there's some long-term relationships made between the actual chauffeur and the client. Yes. A lot of repeat business, I would think, and a lot of requested business. Or do you try to match, kind of match everybody, uh, kind of rotate everybody through? Because it's a logistics business, it's really hard to make sure that that same chauffeur drives for that one individual. So what we try to do is we believe that if you have exceptional people and if you have an exceptional service, you know, across the board, then it doesn't matter if you have a particular individual the entire time. If, if you're getting that same experience, does it really matter if you mix it up a little bit? Now we try, if, if somebody requests somebody, we really try very hard to match that up. Right. But dealing with schedules, if somebody comes in at seven o'clock or 7 p.m. one night, they might come in at 12 p.m. another day which means that it would be a different chauffeur just because of scheduling. How do you keep up with where the cars are? Are you using a, an active GPS process to kind of keep know where everybody is all the time, or how do you work all that? We have two ways of doing that. We have our reservation system, which we do status updates. Whenever a chauffeur picks up the car and is driver on way, he will go to an app on his phone, and click driver on way, which then updates our system and also sends an email to the client with the chauffeur information, picture of the chauffeur so they know who the chauffeur is. So that's one way. And then the other way is uh, through a GPS system where we can track and see all the breadcrumbs of where they went, how they took care of the car, etc. Do you monitor speed and those kind of things? We're not micromanagers, but if there's a, an a possibility where a chauffeur is running late and it's their own fault, then we monitor it to make sure that they're not pushing the cars to try to make up time and you know, potentially cause an accident, which would even be even worse than being <laughs> so, late. So tell me about when the job is not fun. Give me an idea of some things that happen that make the job not fun. So the, where the job cannot be fun is the late hours. We have, you know, some people, especially flight delays. Oh, gosh. That's, that's the worst. You know, where you have somebody coming in at 8 p.m. So you figure, you know, they pick up, up the client at the airport at 8.30, have them dropped off by 9.30, back at the office by, you know, 10.30 and done. Well, that flight gets delayed till 10, midnight. till midnight, till 1, 2, you know, two in the morning, you know, they're picking up the client. Well, now we have to restructure our entire day for, you know, for the next day because, you know, we can't have that chauffeur do a 5 a.m. pickup or a 6 a.m. pickup. Not everybody has the same policy, but if a flight is late, your policy is that driver will stay until that customer is picked up, correct? Not necessarily. And okay. we say, for instance, we need to move people around in order to make it happen say, for instance, one chauffeur might be an a evening, a weekend chauffeur. We might have them do the trip if it gets too late versus somebody that started their day at five in the morning. We maneuver chauffeurs as necessary to create one, a safe environment, 
and then to to uh, you know kind of meet the DOT rules and sure. regulations to create a, a safe environment for that chauffeur. Tell me about how do you plug into the Hartsfield Airport? Is there a license you have to purchase? Is, are there fees? Uh, how does all that work with Hartsfield? So you have to get a permit. The permit's a, a pretty extensive process. Do it once to be able to get the permit initially, and it requires a business plan. It requires a bunch of different questions and paperwork. You have to have the cars even before you can even get the permits. So you're paying on the cars even before you can even service the airport. It's pretty extensive. But once you have that... Do you have to post bond at all, or is there a surety bond that you have to post with the airport? No. Okay, just show that you own the vehicle. Well, you have to. You just have to show that you own the vehicle. Registration. Sure. Um, insurance. So you have to have commercial insurance on the vehicle. Has have the LM tags, you know, the license tags. Sure. Or limo tags. So you prove that. Then once you get your permit, then you just have to go through a renewal process every year, which is basically a, a simple audit, audit of the chauffeurs and vehicles, and making sure that everything lines up. Well, why does why does Hartsfield? I mean, you you may not want to go here with this. I ask it anyway. Why does Hartsfield tend to favor the cab versus the the limo? You know, I I don't know if they really do favor you know the cab versus the limo necessarily. In some aspects they do, in others aspects uh, they don't. Uh, one of the things that I've been very fortunate about is last year I was on the board of directors of the Great Atlanta Limousine Association. Okay. Through that, we were a part of a lot of the legislation that came about last year. And unfortunately, I came in at the backside of it. So it was kind of already set in motion. But it was a great experience to be able to talk with the airport, get to know a lot of the people at the airport. And one of the things that talking with uh, Miguel Southwell of the airport, uh, they have a, a fantastic operation there. And they're really trying to, they're trying to be as fair as possible. But they're also being pushed by city council. They're being pushed by politics. With all of that in play, there's some things that, you know, in perspective might not be as, as fair as we would like. You know, why is the limo lot farther away than the taxi stands when we have some of the most prominent people in Atlanta that we're driving? Sure. They're working to change some of those things and giving, giving us some, some opportunities that might be better over time, but at the moment, yeah, there's some things that aren't working for us, some things that are, but I think they're working very hard for uh, us. So, so Miss Flights, what is a, give me another idea of when you, the job is not so much fun. I don't know anybody that likes traffic. I've never talked to anybody that says, boy, I just love sitting in traffic. So that's probably one of the biggest ones that, you know, when you're driving, you... But your job as a chauffeur is to try to avoid traffic as well, I would guess, right? At five o'clock, there's no avoiding traffic. There's having less traffic on a particular route than another, but you're not going to avoid it. (laughs) Okay. So if you had to give some advice to a starting entrepreneur or starting small business person, what would it be? What kind of the number one thing that you would want to advise somebody on based on what you've learned? So somebody starting off, the biggest thing that I learned, uh, this business, I was kind of thrown into the business. I needed a job. I needed a, a steady income. Yeah, but that's how a lot of small businesses start. I mean, right. very few of them are actually planned. Right. Okay. Because I was thrown in, one of the mistakes I made was jumping right into it and just running with it. 
you know, you just go out, you try to get jobs, you, you try to, you know, run as much as possible. I was doing a majority of the driving initially. You know, I didn't have time to develop the business. And my, my biggest advice would be is build a business plan. Spend the time, even if you have to pull away from the business for a, a few moments or wait to start it for a month or two, wait to start it. Build a business plan so you know what you're doing, you know where you're headed. Put it down on paper. A lot of people have ideas in their head and they, they know exactly where they want to go, but it's hard to share that information when it's not written down. And it's hard to get financing when you don't have a plan. Yeah, it is. So unless you've had businesses, you know, you just don't go to a bank and say, I'd like $100,000 to start a business. Here's my idea. I'll tell it to you in 15 minutes verbally. Sure, sure. You know, you have to have a plan. And that's, that's probably the biggest mistake I made. The second, big, uh, second mistake I made is get out of doing the job, start running the business instead, and doing that as soon as possible. What a lot of entrepreneurs, and it, it, I did the same thing, what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they get so immersed in doing the job, whether it's a plumber, whether it's an electrician, whether it's a, you know, driving limos, you we get so immersed. We see a lot of that. Yeah. Exactly. You get so immersed in doing the job that you forget to get yourself out of the, the job and start getting people that can do that job just as good as you or even better than you. And then you start to build the business. And that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that I made. Because at the end of the day... Sure, the, you got to get. The, I was talking to somebody about this just yesterday. What are you going to do after the first year? At some point, you've got to back up and run the business, right? As opposed to there may be a reason that you got into it. We talked about CPAs, for example. They prepare tax returns. They do audits. They do all the things they do. But someone's got to run the business. Yep. It's, sometimes it's it's hard for someone to back away from that and just decide that, okay, I was a good CPA, but now I'm running a CPA practice, which is a whole different thing. Right. If you're passionate about what you do, it's a lot more difficult as well because you want to be hands-on. You want to be active in it. But you know, there's, there's a difference between an entrepreneur and somebody that just wants a, you know, a job. And sometimes, you know, people have to analyze if you just love doing that particular thing, then, you know, sometimes it's better to take, take a step back, realize that, hey, maybe I might be better off working for somebody else, you know, having somebody else manage the things that I don't even want to even do. As an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I love the entrepreneurial side of it. I just didn't get into it soon enough and get out of the job part of it. Well, you but, have to learn it. Exactly. And then you can, you know, so you know what to expect of other people that are now doing that job. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Eric, we're at the end of the time. I know it goes by fast, but I uh, really appreciate you being here. Sure. Last uh, words of advice for somebody out there. I, I want you to focus. I guess what I'd like for you to do is focus on how important and how much of a, in a commodity kind of business, how important it is to provide really good service. In our business, it's absolutely imperative. Uh, the only way that you can provide excellent service is by having a company culture that demonstrates that. Uh, that is the, the most critical thing. If you can't have everybody in the company on board with providing that exceptional level of service, you're only good, as good as the people that are, you know, actually provide, you know, the hands-on people. 
Uh, but when it gets to the back office and you get to uh, a lot of the parts of the business that people don't see, if those people aren't on board with it, you know, the business it tends to crumble from the inside out rather than from, you know, what most people think a business crumbles is from the outside in. But it, that's, it's actually imperative that if they're not part of the culture, it'll crumble from the inside out. Okay. Well, that's our time for the day. Eric, why don't you tell everybody how they can get a hold of you? Why don't you give your phone number and your email address? Sure. So it's Alamina Limousine and Worldwide Transportation. Uh, you can go under our website at www.alaminalimousine.com or you can call us by 678-254-8298 or send us an email, service at alaminalimousine.com. My gut tells me if somebody wants to use you, they're going to get really good service and they're going to want to come back again. Guaranteed. Okay, good, good. Well, that's our time for the day. Eric, thank you again for being on and for talking about uh, customer service and culture are the two of my favorite topics. Very, very important for a small business to really embrace and uh, get their arms around. This has been On The Money. And uh, we are the number one small business show on Business Radio X. We're presented by Embassy National Bank. Uh, We are on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money. And then the number one, Uh, you can also go to uh, onthemoney.businessradiox.com and look at any of our, uh, download any of our files. uh, And we've got MP3 files out there for you to listen to. You can also go to iTunes and download them. The biggest new feature, you can go to Business Radio X channel on YouTube, uh, Business Radio X-Gwinnett YouTube channel, and look at video and audio of today's show. It's been good being here, and I apologize for the throat, but uh, hopefully next week I'll do better. But until next time, I'm Joe Moss at Embassy National Bank, and just remember, Be real careful out there. Leave fear in the back seat. And I think what we talked about today is really important. And we can summarize that by saying just stay authentic. Stay real to yourself. Because that, surprisingly enough, folks, that really does sell if if you stay authentic to people. So with that, appreciate the time. We'll see you next time.